Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. Let's get started this morning. How are you guys this morning? Doing well? I'm a little offended that Pastor Patrick is talking about going back to school. How many of you are a little offended that we're already talking about going back to school? I want the summer to last forever. I love the summer, and I know we have to go back and work, and all the kids have to get educated and things, but it's, uh, it's a good time to hang out and to see your family and to take a break. You know, every season of God is good, but the summer is the best, I'm telling you. It's uh, my personal opinion this morning. Will you do me a favor and just grab your Bibles and hold them up. Maybe you've got your phone and the Bible is on your phone. I want you just to lift it up and shake it around. Go ahead and stand up on your feet one more time. Let's just shake our Bible around, make the devil nervous this morning. He doesn't like that. The Bible is that thing that pierces to the dividing of our soul and of our spirit. That means that this thing is piercing to the division of what we feel And what is true? How many of you want to know what's true, not just what you feel this morning? Well, how about we study the Word? Let's just shake it this morning right here and say, this is my Bible. It is the Word of God. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. We've got lots of great stuff in store still in this service. We have a few baptisms for people today that they are going to make their faith public. Y'all give our baptismal candidates a hand clap this morning. Salvations never get old and baptisms never get old. They're always so fun and I enjoy every single week. My name is Jesse Gibson. If we've never met before, I'd like to introduce myself. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We are so glad to have you. I tell you what, um, we're going to open up our Bibles to Exodus this morning. Going to teach out of the Old Testament and a story that's very familiar to almost everyone in the world, which is the story of Moses. Have you ever heard of a character named Moses. He's kind of a big deal in the body of Christ. So uh, most people have seen him. If you don't know him, you've seen someone represent him on a felt board somewhere in Sunday school. You've seen the, the you know, the water, the river, the little boat that, they, that his mama built. And Moses was born in a time when the Pharaoh was very scared of the people of God. You say, Jesse, why was he scared of, of the people of God, the children of Israel? Well, he was scared of them because they were multiplying, because they were unifying because they were getting larger and they were getting stronger. This is the desire of my heart, that the people of God would get larger, stronger, more unified, and that we would just continue to grow the body of Christ all over the earth because it's only in that spot that we make the devil nervous of what we can do. See, it's because in that spot we can put ourselves to anything and accomplish it. God has called his people to be blessed, to multiply 
Why? To be stronger, to be larger, and he has called us to unify. It's one of the purposes and the plans that God has given to us as a vision at his church. Um, I was in uh, I was in Target yesterday, and I was getting a baby gift to, for a baby shower. And I went to the uh, little registry counter, and I pulled it up on the computer. It's so high-tech now. When I got married, you had to go put everything you wanted in a cart and stick it behind a counter somewhere. But now you just can click it on this little computer and tell them what you want. you got this gun. You can shoot everything. And then they, it all comes up, and then you go buy what you want. You stick it. Uh, you bring it up, and you pay for it. When you bring it up, you tell them it's on this registry. They take a little scan of it. It tells the person that that's already been bought, so the next person does it by multiples. I got like five blenders when I got married. This, this is brilliant. Whoever came up with this system is brilliant. And so I was there with my girls, and we were buying that little gift, and I, I was going through. They had baby gifts. They had wedding registries. And my girls tapped into something that we didn't know about. They actually have a kid's wish list. This is a bad idea. <laughs> my girls were convinced that we were going to stay there until they created a wish list. I said, a wish list for what? You aren't doing anything. There's, you know, there's no life moment. No, They said, Mom, we could go ahead and create something for Christmas, for our birthdays. I said, none of us care. We'll get you what we want to get you. That, it, this is not a thing. So they were telling me, oh, Mom, we love the wish list. We love the wish list. And I was thinking about that on the way home and uh, got tickled about just someone just going in and making a wish list of everything that they want. I'm sure it comes in handy with some things, but it was just a funny concept to me. And uh, I went in the car and I was thinking about it. And I thought, if I had a wish list, my wish list would be that the churches of all Judea, Samaria, and uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, they were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord. They were multiplied. If I could have one wish list that someone went and got my registry from Target, it would say, Jesse wants everyone to go to church. That's what it would say. Because I am telling you, this place is so supernatural and it answers so many things in your life. And so I'm so grateful that you're here today. Moses was born in a time when the people of God were thriving even in their slavery. And it was making the king very nervous because he knew that at any given point they could rise up and revolt against his leadership if they got too big. And so he started killing all the boy babies. How many of you know, no boys and lots of girls does no match make. I mean, you can't make babies. You can't continue to multiply. And he knew that. So he just thought, well, I'll just take out the other half of the equation. So he began to command the midwives to kill every baby boy as it was being born. Now, this is what he didn't uh, realize was that those midwives, they were God-fearing people, and they weren't going to do it. They were not going to do it. You know, every time we stand for life, the blessing and the favor of the Lord comes on us. Amen? Every single time that we as the people of God stand for life, the blessing and the favor of the Lord comes on us in our house. So I just think we should just do it every day, all day long. Just any chance we get, stand for life. And God says, yes, I'll pour out my favor. I'll pour out my blessing. I'll pour out my multiplication. I'll pour it out on them because they stand for what's right. Right. 
And so here we are in the midst of this season, and Moses is born. The midwives protect him. His mother gets hold of him. She nurses him till he's old enough to float down the river. She sticks him in this little basket. She floats him down the river with a, with a spy watching him as he goes to make sure that he gets safely to the next place where Pharaoh's daughters are bathing in the river, and they find this little baby. And he must have been a cute one because he was irresistible. They couldn't stand it. They got him. They took him in. Pharaoh's daughter said, oh, he's mine. I, I, this is my baby. And she took him in. They hired a wet nurse to come in and to, to feed him and to nurture him. So all of his young life, there was someone from the, from the kingdom of God whispering these things in his ear about God and about who he was. They were teaching him that he was one of the children of Israel. They were teaching him who their God was. Was. And as he was small, I believe they were whispering these things into his ear to put inside of him at a deep level that he was called by God to fight for his people. Moses goes into the house of Pharaoh and he lives years and years being raised like an Egyptian. And he finds himself in a spot one day where he comes out with authority and he's supposed to be an Egyptian but he's actually one of the Israelites, and he knows it deep down in his core, and he walks up on a job site where there are men that are enslaved and other men that are overseeing them, and the men that are overseeing them, they began to have a deal, and Moses doesn't like the way that one of them is being treated, and Moses gets angry, and he lashes out. How many of your, you men know that it is not a good idea to mess with your people? If you let people mess with your people, you are not worth your salt. Men of God don't let people mess with their people, right? I'm telling you, there's something. That, even us women, we don't like people messing with our people. I like you till you don't like my kids, then I don't like you anymore, right? That's the way the world goes around. Everybody likes their people. I think back to a time when I was traveling through the airport with Brian Gibson. Anybody know him in, in here? He is always in a hurry, even if there is no hurry to be had. He likes to go fast. He likes to go ahead. And so I take my good old easy time, and I don't try to keep up with him. I just do what I want, and I let him run wherever he wants to run. So he's running down the airport one day, and I'm going to get there when I get there, but I'm not going to try to keep up with him because there is literally no hurry. So here he goes down this corridor, and I'm watching him. I can see him. Um, quite a ways away, and I'm standing in this corridor of this airport in the terminal, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a gigantic man comes, and he pushes his body up on my body, even though we were not in a crowd, and he proceeds to stick his face in my neck, at which point I begin to get very uncomfortable and back up. And he says, wow, you smell wonderful. Can I ask what you're wearing? I said, no, you cannot. 
And I guess my voice, we've been married long enough now. We've been married since we were like two years old. So I think my voice just took a pitch that was obvious that I was a nervous wreck. And Brian recognized it even in his sprint down the thing. And I saw him. And honestly, my fear went from this weird man smelling me to now I was afraid for this weird man. And I found myself, I felt like I was in slow motion. I said, no. <laughs> and I look as Brian turns. And when he was walking this way, he whips around. He looks at the man and his face is in my neck as soon as Brian turns around. And he goes down into some kind of, I don't even know, football stance. And his head goes down, and I think he's going to spear this man in the sternum with his head. And he was yards away, and he begins to sprint faster than you have ever seen a 250-pound man sprint. And this man looks, his eyes get gigantic, and Brian is running full speed ahead through everyone, direct line, and he is screaming at the top of his lungs, get away from my wife. And it was just shaking the airport. Which point this man's eyes get this big, he turns and he runs the other direction with his hands up like he's been caught by the police and he's screaming, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and he just takes off. Now we were in the St. Louis airport, so all the rednecks were right there. And they jumped up on their feet, the whole bar that was on the side, everyone in the waiting area, and they just began to cheer for Brian. It was like out of a movie somewhere. I'm like, what is happening? And then I just died laughing because I'm thinking, only in my life would this have just happened. It is not okay when people mess with your people, especially your wife. Now, I'm going to tell you, Moses had this deep-seated protection Ability because he knew somewhere deep down that those were actually his people. And so Moses stood up and he went out to fight for this. And when he did, he ended up murdering this man. He thought that he had covered it up. He thought that no one would know. But in the end, they came back and someone said to him, who are you to talk to me? You're a murderer. And he realized that the word was out. And from that point on, Moses fled for his life. He left that community. He went into the wilderness, into another portion of, of, of that place. And he had to make an entirely new life for himself. For all intents and purposes, every thing that Moses had that was going to give him an edge was lost in that day. And he runs for his life. And out there he finds a family and he helps them and he ends up gaining favor with them and they give him a wife and he begins to take care of their flocks and he begins to flourish. And he's out in this secondary job that he felt like he probably shouldn't be in. He felt like he had lost. He felt like he had made a mistake. He felt like he wasn't who he was supposed to be. He was raised in the king's house. He was supposed to be somebody. And now he was living a secondary life and he was most likely a little frustrated with where he had placed himself. I want you to go with me today to Exodus 3 and verse 4. 
He's out and he's shepherding these, the flock and he sees a bush and it is on fire. Do you know that God will take you and attract you and do anything that it takes to get your attention in the moment that he needs to speak to you? When the Lord saw that he had turned, I'm sorry, then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at the great sight and see why the bush has not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for this place is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I love how God introduces himself. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and a broad land, and a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how Egyptians oppress them. So come, and I will send you to Pharaoh. Don't you know those were words that Moses did not want to hear? It was the land that he did not want to have to go back to and answer for who he was. But Moses said to God, who am I? He questions him that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. He said, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that it is I who sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, I love this because we can relate to this. You find yourself in a spot, and God says, I'm going to use you to do something great for him. And you look back, and you have a lot of questions. If someone said to you today, you're going to go to the White House, you're going to march up into the Oval Office, you're going to demand something from President Trump, you're going to tell him that I sent you. Would you have a few questions for God? Sure you would. You would want to know how you're going to get through security, number one. You would want to know why have you chosen me, God. You would want to know what do you want me to say. We have all of these questions that really are not as important to God as they are to us. Because God already knows what he wants to do. He already knows who he wants to use. And he already knows how he's going to accomplish it. And he's looking for someone that will say yes to God. See, Moses said, why doesn't the bush burn? He was already starting. And God hadn't even gotten started yet. He said, God, uh, he, he said who am I? I, that you should send me. This is a common one. Anytime that God gives us inspiration to do something in his power, we say, are you sure I'm good enough, God? This is very common for us to look back at him and say, who am I that I should go? There's so much wrong with me. And God is saying, if I waited till I got a perfect person to fill the position, I would never get anything done. I know what you're made out of. It's dirt. I'm the one who formed you. 
Who am I? Moses asks. And then he says, what should I say? He wants to know everything ahead of time. You know, as a young person trying to follow God, you always want to know everything. When you first meet God, even if you're not young in age but young in faith, you're saying to God, what am I going to say whenever I get there? What am I going to do? Who's going to be there? How's it going to happen? Where are we going to go? How much money is it going to take? How are we going to get that accomplished? And people look and they say they don't know what they're doing because they don't have all the answers. No, they know exactly what they're doing. They're following a God that works on a currency of faith not of actual things that we see and feel. You see, our God is a faith God. He's not looking to give you every step before you ever take it. He's looking for people that will say, Lord, let your word be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I'll take the next step and then you light the next way. I'll take the next step and then you light the next way. Have you ever been into one of these restrooms that you open the door and it looks dark in there and you feel for the, the light switch and there is not one and you don't know what to do and then you think, well, maybe it's on the inside and you step in and it lights up. These are cool. That's a lot like God. Because we just want a light switch that we turn on at our own will and volition, that we just use our own will to do what we need to do. We want all the answers. We want to know what the next step is. We want to know how it's going to happen. We want to know when it's going to happen. We want to know with who it's going to happen. And we're badgering God with questions that he isn't concerned about. And he feels absolutely no obligation to answer. So you can waste your time if you'd like to waste your time, but you're just going to be asking questions and nothing will happen. But if you just choose to walk into the light, just choose to walk in where God tells you to walk, the room that God asks you to walk in, he will light the way whenever you show up. Any room that God asks you to go to, he will not leave you in the dark. He will light the way whenever you show up. He says, who am I? What should I say? Moses says, what, and this was a pretty good question actually, what is your name? Or in other words, who are you? See, he had heard about him, but probably most likely didn't have a personal relationship with God himself. And he's asking, who are you? And he says back to him, I am. I am everything that you need. I am everything that you will ever need. I am everything that needs to be had. I am that I am that I am I am. And he was saying to Moses in that moment, I have it. I am the God that you need. I am all-powerful. I am all-knowing. I am omnipresent. I am omniscient. I am. And if you will trust me, I will go with you. But a lot of times as God leads us in this day and age and asks us to do things, we're saying to God, God, I just don't know enough about you yet. I need to know more about your nature. I need to know more about your character. I need to study a little bit more. I need to hear a little bit more. I need to go to one more Sunday school class. I need to go to one more Bible study, one more small group. I need to get one more message from a famous preacher on YouTube before... I can actually take a step of faith and do what you've asked me to do. See, we have all of the questions, but God has all of the answers. And he's looking for people that will trust him as they walk into that place. And then he says this, what if they don't believe me? Why would Moses be concerned with the people believing him? He was a murderer. He's walking back into a culture and a people 
that know exactly who he is. Some of you have come out of such things that you are so disturbed by. And you met Jesus along the way, and he has transformed your life. And I don't mean you've been two weeks in the kingdom. I mean God has developed your character. He has changed your life. He has transformed your family. And everyone around you will testify that there is a different person living on the inside of that body, that God has changed you from the inside all the way to the outside. I don't mean you've served Jesus half-heartedly for six weeks. I mean your testimony and your character tells the story of what God has done in your heart and still somewhere deep down on the inside of you, you're saying, God, what if they know me? What if they remember who I am? What if they know what I did and God is telling you today, let it go. I have changed you. I have transformed you. What if they do know the old man has passed away? Behold, all things have become new for you in this life. There is redemption power. I remember going back to Providence, Kentucky, walking down the street, meeting a girl, and she said, didn't you marry Brian Gibson? Now, I married Brian Gibson two years after he had come to know God, changed his life, been set free, lived for Jesus, made himself accountable, been discipled, studied the word, prayed every day. He was a different human being when I married him than when she knew him in the world. She looked at me going down the street. She said, didn't you marry Brian Gibson? I said, I did. How are you? I'm Jesse. She said, can I ask you a question? Always with the questions, these people. She looked at me. She said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, why? And I laughed. I said, Jesus changed his life. You have no idea. He is what he says that he is. He lives it. He's that guy. And see, she didn't know it because she hadn't been around him in years. She knew the old man. But you can't stand by and wait and say, God, what if they remember me? You have to move into what God has for you. That's a word for someone specific today. It's a word of deliverance. It's a word that God is merciful. It is a word that God will revolutionize your life. And it, is, it doesn't always come easy. Trust is earned, but God will use you in the time and the season that he so chooses when you have completely given your life over to him. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you have to be in the closet of the kingdom forever, never to be let out to do real things for God, that you just have to be in the background, that there's nothing that God can use you for. No, God is in the making sinners into saints business. It's what he does, and he can do it for you too. He said, what if they don't believe me, God? What if they don't believe that I am coming in your name? What if they think I'm doing something else? What if it doesn't work? God only had one question, and I love God's question. He listened to everything that Moses said. He listened to him ask, why doesn't the bush burn? He listened to him ask, who am I? What should I say? What is your name? Who are you? What if they don't believe me? What if it doesn't work? All of these questions. And he even answered a few. But then God came back with the only question that actually mattered. And I guess I want to ask you God's question today. God looked at him in chapter 4. Let's go there together. Verses 1 through 3. Then Moses answered, 
but suppose they do not believe me. Suppose they do not listen to me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? That's God's question. What is that in your hand, Moses? Here Moses is just a shepherd doing his thing. He's got a staff in his hand, and he looks back at God, and he says, it's a staff. This is what I lead animals with. I'm doubting this is going to work for all the children of Israel to come out of Egypt, God. Come on. Why are you asking me what's in my hand? The only thing that I have left in the world, I had to run for my life. This is all I've got, and now you're asking me for the one thing I've just built any kind of relationship or world that I can live and work in and survive, and now you're asking me for that thing to be used for you. And it's a natural thing. It's a simple thing. It's a thing that anybody can own. It's just a natural stick. God, what are you going to do with that? God says to Moses in the next scripture, I want you to throw it down. And when he did, that staff turns into a snake. That is the moment that I would have quit and run the other direction. (laughs) My mother-in-law's in the room. She, she would have just left the country. She can't deal with it. He took that snake, and in a very unnatural way, God said to him, because God doesn't have to make natural sense to us. He doesn't have to do things the way humans would do things. His thoughts are higher. His ways are bigger. He has bigger plans and better plans than anything we can come up with. And he goes, I want you to grab that snake by the tail. That is a really bad idea in the natural And he's, grab it by the tail. Just grab it by the tail. So Moses obeys, and he just leans down and grabs it, and it turns right back into a staff. And he's showing him through a sign and a wonder that he is going to use that thing in his hand to do anything that he needs to get done in the next season of his life. Now, I'm asking you what is in your hand because I don't know what God is asking you to do, but I do know that God is asking you what is in your hand. What do you have that looks so natural to you, but it is the thing that God is going to use to put you right in the middle of the place that God has for you? The next season of your life, what will it look like? Well, it depends on what is in your hand and what you'll give to God. You see, I really just had one thing in my hand when God called me, and it was that I could talk a lot. That's not a gift. That is a curse. And I took it in the natural like a curse because every teacher kicked me out and sent me to the principal's office. I've had three teachers come up and apologize to me for the way they treated me now. And I forgave them, but I have not forgotten. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) They, They would send me to the principal's office because it took me a few years to get that gift under control, but it was what was in my hand. It was all that I had in my hand, and to me it was very natural. It wasn't hard to talk. I could talk to anybody. I could talk to nobody. I can talk to that pole. Just give me a chance. Other people have other things. It's natural. It's in their hand. It's what they have. Maybe you are an incredible nurturer, a mother that is great at nurturing people. Don't you dare take that for granted. That is a gift from God that you hold in your hand. And God's saying, what is in your hand? There are so many young people that need someone to mother them in a true and a genuine way because they have never been mothered. They've never been nurtured. And they need that tenderness that only you can pour into their life. Maybe you know how to fix 
mechanical things and there's some boys that are being raised in single homes and maybe their mom doesn't know how to fix a car and they have a deep desire to become a mechanic and the tool that's in your hand would bless their life, bless their family, bless their finances. It is the tool that's in your hand that you can give over to God. Maybe you are called to full-time ministry and it doesn't matter where you came from, but it does matter where you're going. Maybe you're called to be that teacher that isn't up one day and down the next, but you're a steady hand in the midst of a storm of a child's life that goes home every day and has absolutely no idea what they're walking into, but they know that when they get to school, Miss Jones is going to be the same every day. What is in your hand today, believer? What is in your hand? I have a dear friend, and she is from Texas. I love her. She, for years, she has messaged me periodically and said, Jesse, what are we believing God for? And by that, she means, what do you need the Lord to work on? And things that I would never even share with people, I'll take and give it to her and say, I need this in my life, and I need you to stand with me. It's not a small thing. Maybe it is a small thing, but maybe it's just something that I need someone to stand with me on and to know that someone's agreeing with me. So many times she has done that with me, and she stays the course. She sticks with me until we find the answer to that thing, until God moves in that situation, until we see a breakthrough. And so she's become a very dear friend of mine. I had coffee with her just a few weeks ago, and she shared an incredible story that I thought was great for this message today. I wanted to share it with you. She was a young lady who was working in the banking industry, really in the training side, I believe, of the banking industry. She was in her early 30s, and she was just wanting to do well. And so she's great with people, one of the best people people I've ever met. The minute that you meet her, you just feel like you are loved. You feel like she wants the best for you. She has an incredible gift to see you and to tap into what it is that you're doing and be so encouraging and so helpful. And so she was great in this training. And one day she was invited to lunch with all of the big dogs in her bank and uh, she, in that whole region. She had no idea why they were calling her, but she went to lunch and she sat down and she said, I thought we were having lunch and they were going to talk to me. She said, honestly, I thought I was going to lose my job. And so she sat and she waited and they said, we called you here today because we really feel that you would be an incredible vice president of the region of our bank. She said, excuse me? They said, we really feel you, like your people skills would be great in this. She said, you do know that I don't have a degree. They said, yes, we're aware of that, but we just really feel. And she said, okay, I, I think you have the wrong person. Look on your paper, make sure the name's right. She was so blown away. She had no idea what was happening, no idea where it came from, never saw it coming. And they said, we understand that this isn't typical. We understand that it isn't the way that it normally happens, but you have blown us away with your work ethic and your commitment to helping people. And you're just fantastic with people. And we really believe that you would be great in this position. 
And so she ended up receiving that job. She said on the way home, she just laughed. She said, they're going to go back and figure out that they got the wrong girl. Someone has to report to them that they, I am not the right person. They invited the wrong person to lunch because they didn't really know her personally. She said she ended up getting that job and through that just growing and growing and growing in her profession. And every day for all, I think, 25 or 30 years that she worked for that bank, she said every single day on the way in, I would giggle, and on the way out, I would giggle, and I would say, somehow, I have tricked these people into letting me have this job. She grew and grew and grew. She ended up retiring from that, becoming one of the city council members of the city. She ended up then going and taking over a nonprofit that was a leadership organization where she trains young leaders in the community, and she has great influence amongst the whole community. She is a fantastic human being, and honestly, just a great person. And I was so stunned to hear that story of hers, but I loved it because it's like God just looked at her and said, what do you have in your hand? Let me use it for my glory. And over the years, she's encouraged hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young ladies. She has helped us in the church in Amarillo so much. And we're so grateful for what God placed in her hand. It's not the same thing that he placed in my hand, but it's the perfect thing for her life. And so today I'm asking you, what is in your hand that looks so natural, you've been carrying it around even for years and you've counted it natural, but you'll allow God to make it supernatural. I want you to stand up on your feet today. We're gonna have baptisms here in one second, but I wanna pray for you today as you sort this out with God, as you hear from the Lord, whatever it is, maybe God's saying, I want you to start a business and you're saying, I'm not an entrepreneur, God, and he's saying, what's in your hand? Maybe he's encouraging you to do something in the kingdom of God or even in the house of God, and you're saying, there's no way I could be used for that. People remember and he's saying, what is in your hand? Maybe you are newly married and you are for sure and certain that you are failing. And God is looking at you today saying, what is in your hand that you can use to master the world that I've called you to today? I want to pray for you. If you want that blessing from God and that clarity and just for God to encourage you and strengthen you in this area, I encourage you. You can even lift one hand to heaven if you feel comfortable with it. Father, right now, I pray over each and every one of these people, your people. Father, today I bless them in the name of Jesus. I say, God, that you are leading them and guiding them, showing them exactly what they have in their hand that you can use for your glory. Lord, I thank you that just like Moses went in and over time the children of Israel were released out of captivity and he became the mighty deliverer that you would make us mighty in your use, that you would make us mighty in your kingdom, that you would help us, guide us, lead us, and encourage us as we follow you today. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. And if you agree, just say amen. Amen. Amen.